podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted. As you can tell, I'm not Irish and I'm not Dave. But the show goes on. Um, I am with Carl. How are you doing, Carl? I'm not too bad, mate. How are you? I am good. I'm good. I, I almost felt like I should have done an Irish accent there, but it would have not worked. So we'll uh, move on. We, we could still uh, go for it and see how it goes, you know. No, I regret saying that. No, so I won't. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. Um, as I teased on the Daily Red yesterday, um, when there was actually something to talk about, if people are wondering why there wasn't one today on Tuesday, there was literally zero Liverpool news apart from a contract for a toddler. So I have nothing to talk about. But I'm doing a scouted anyway. Um, but we're going to do a season preview Um this one, we're going to be doing the big six, and we have to start with Liverpool because we'll get our club out of the way. Um, so basically, we're going to have expectation for the season, how they probably line up or key players, including key squad members, and then where we think they'll finish in, in the season. So, I mean, Carl, Liverpool, obviously a bit of, a bit of change over the summer with Nunes coming in, um, Carvalho, Ramsey, but probably the biggest change is Mane leaving, who's been so important for, for so many years. Um, how do you see that affecting the season? Well, first of all, I can't believe you haven't put Big Divock Origi as the number one outgoing uh, change here. Apologies. Heartbroken, heartbroken humans all over the land, I would imagine. Uh, and we can only imagine how James Milner is getting on in training this summer without Divock around to entertain him. So, our heartfelt condolences to James and the gang on that news. Man, is obviously going to be a massive miss, isn't he? Let's not uh, let's not be around and pretend that we've got all the answers to to just glide through that departure and not notice it in the slightest. He played a huge, huge role in everything we did. Um, not just obviously the goals that he made and scored himself, but also just our tactical play, the build up, uh, the versatility that he had, obviously, and he was just a very, very ingrained part of the team which, let's face it, worked pretty well for the last few years. Not just the attack three themselves, but you know, how he would filter in uh, in slightly deeper areas, how he would be really, really heavily involved with our build-up play from deep. Uh, and obviously him and Andy Robert had a really good relationship and understanding for years. So it will be a big change. We have obviously staggered, let's say, the the replacement for Mane in the team. Um, Luis Diaz obviously coming in in January is a part of that. Now we would assume that Darwin Nunes is going to be another part. And maybe there will be some alterations to not necessarily the way that we build up play without Mane, but maybe the way we look to finish off moves without Mane. Because with him, he was obviously good in the air, really good getting across the first post. He was fine running him off the left and all the rest of it. And it's going to be a little bit different now with the players that we have. Some 
some characteristics, some of those traits are filled, I think, by uh, Diaz, but he plays his own way and is a lot more explosive now. He's sort of more similar to how Mane was when he first arrived, if anything, uh, not the Mane who left. So it is going to be a change. It is going to be a bit of a challenge probably to get used to seeing us build up slightly differently in that half of the pitch, at least. Um, But probably we can look forward to that being well dealt with, I think. I think the the coaching staff, the recruitment staff, they've all earned the right to just have kind of blind faith, you know, even if we're if we're not hundred percent sure on the individual players, if we're not hundred percent sure on the the way the rebuild goes, they've done enough by now to for us to just accept that they know what they're doing, that there is a plan. It's not scattergun, it's not spare at the moment. And sooner or later we will see the plan in action. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. But I will ask this even though it sounds stupid now, but do you think there's any areas we're going into the season short? Because we do, the midfield's obviously the one we're probably going to talk about here, but you are right that we do have to trust the, the transfer setup and especially Klopp and the mm. the, court, the coaching staff. Um, but the midfield, we obviously want to chew a many. Um, the Bellingham stuff won't go away, but most people recognise that'll probably be next year, if at all. But there's obviously... Portugal linking us to Nunes every other day, whether that's just usual stuff out of Portugal or it is the Darwin Nunes actual uh, accurate reporting for once. But is there any areas where you think Liverpool are short, which maybe not hinder the season, but could just give us that extra boost in the season? Well, I know the midfield is obviously the one that everyone's going to talk about, but we do have to acknowledge that we haven't really lost anybody from midfield at the moment. Um we had enough midfield players. Whether you think that there was enough quality in midfield is obviously a bit of a different matter, but we had enough midfield players to cope last season. And the only ones who have disappeared from midfield are people who didn't really contribute that much anyway. You know, the odd cup appearance, people like Elijah Dixon, Bono, Shea it's not going to make any difference to the first team to, to go on for the league title and all that sort of thing. The only real, or the biggest change from midfield really is Taki Minamino. In the first half of last season, he played in midfield a few times. Mm. Um, obviously that's not his role that's not where he was supposed to be it was just where he happened to fit in a little bit so I don't think that there's going to be a problem in terms of numbers Um, we can expect that that will be a little bit the same as last year hopefully I think people at Navigator was a lot more reliable and available last season and that's something that we need to try and put together again this year I think a couple of players really have to try and push on a lot more than they did last year. I think Henderson needs to have a much more consistent season. I think um, Curtis Jones needs to try and have much more of a consistent season in terms of being one of the go-to players because there are times when he looks like he can come in and be a starter every week and then he'll just be missing in action for like eight weeks at a time. It's a it's a bit of a, a weird yeah. one with Curtis. He's, he's still only 21, you know, so it's kind of natural in a way but then with people like Fabio Carvalho coming in it's going to be a little bit more pressure a little bit more uh, game time to switch around between people and that's even without touching on Oxley Chamberlain who everybody thought was going to leave this summer and hasn't so um, I don't expect that there'll be problems in terms of numbers I don't expect that there's you know we're, we're going to get to the end of the season and say oh you know it's going to be like when we had no centre-backs and we should have bought one or we should have signed the fourth one it's not the same thing you know last year we had quite a heavy injury load at the start of the season in midfield, but we still had like three, four midfielders for most of it. So mm. so by numbers, we should be okay. My biggest concern is actually right back. Um, Calvin right. Ramsey has obviously come in. He has not yet obviously been tested at this level. He's not had too much senior football yet. 
I like what I've seen so far. I do. I think he's you know, looks perfectly decent, and I'm sure we'll we'll work with him and, and improve him as we go. But you can't just say like if Trent goes out for let's say a month with just not, not, nothing bad, but you know a twisted ankle or some ligament damage or something like that, just for a month, is Ramsey going to be able to step up and play six, seven games in that time? Or are we going to be looking then again at going with Joe Gomez? Or are we going to be pushing James Milner back into that role? Or, you know, this is the sort of thing which is more of a concern for me than is it going to be Oxlade Chamberlain or is it going to be Curtis Jones coming in as our seventh midfielder? This this is not really a problem. You know, Liverpool still play the same way. You may get something slightly different or something slightly better, depending on who is in that midfield zone. But in actual first team regular appearances, it's still at right back where we have the least depth. Now, obviously, it's a, a really tricky situation to manage because Trent is going to play 85% of the games anyway, mm-hmm. as long as he's fit for them. But in terms of depth, that's still the position, really. We don't know how good Ramsey's going to be at this level is the, is the basic point here. He could be really, really good and we don't have to worry about it. But he's got to be at least at the level of Neko Williams right now, for example, for us not to be going backwards. So I yeah. don't doubt that they they see that there's going to be more from Ramsey in the future than Neko was able to give us. And obviously, Nico wanted to, to leave anyway, so it's kind of irrelevant. But in terms of this season, this this title that we're now going to go for, it still looks to me like right back is the the area of biggest concerns. Probably not the right way because I'm not like dead worried about it. It's not like Trent has been ridiculously intrigued or anything like that. But yeah. It would be the weakness at the moment, I think, if we had to take out a first-choice player. Yeah, that makes sense. I think people probably focus on the midfield because, well, a lot of people don't like Henderson, obviously, but there's more, there's more to that. I mean, the injury proneness, as you said, Naby had his probably most injury-free season. Thiago, still, you need to protect him, as you do with, with Henderson and co. But I think the five-sub rule coming in will probably help with that rotation. Um, Elliot was excellent at the start of last season albeit it was only for a handful again but I think everyone's been excited by his pre-season performance um, so that, that should be I know he's played a bit further forward but I think it translates quite well um, but yeah I think numbers wide midfield's fine it's just I think we have the first four midfielders that Klopp trusts and we saw at the end of last season where he would only pick them four I think there was like one game Jones might have got or Milner might have got or something like that but he, he trusted them four Almost too much because they've got overplayed a bit. But beyond that, as you said, a couple of question marks over Jones, whether he develops or not. Elliot, will he bounce back after the injury? All the early signs seems that he will. Milner's Milner and Ox, where, well, he's already injured and there's already rumours he might be going to West Ham, but time will tell with that. But yeah, I think if one goes, it might be a question, a, a bigger question mark. But I agree numbers-wise, we're fine. But the quality might be a bit more questionable beyond that. Um, first four. But yeah, I think uh, we'll move on to how we think we'll line up. I mean, Alisson's the obvious one. Trent, question mark. Then uh, Van Dyke, Robbo, I presume, unless Simicas really takes a jump up in trust. Thiago, Fabinho, and then biggest question marks. I think Darwin will take the first spot eventually, but I reckon Bobby will start the season with Diaz and more. And then we yeah, can discuss just... the other two spots. Yeah, I agree with you in attack. I think Darwin will be probably a slightly slower integration. There's not really any massive need for him to hit the ground running as long as the others are uh, doing their thing. Uh, obviously, Jota's a doubt for the start of the season and is going to be fully firing on all cylinders anyway, even if he does come back to full fitness because he's not really had a pre-season now, mm-hmm. um, which is a bit annoying, sure, really, yeah. because 
if 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 there is another area of concern, it might be that forward line now because we've yeah. we've basically got five similar-ish sort of starting caliber forwards now, right? So Diaz, Jota, Salah, Nunez, and Firmino. Those are the five forwards. Whereas before we would have had like four starters and then two or three extra backups sort of thing with like Taki and Origi and that kind of thing. So it's maybe one down net, but it's probably increased overall quality in the attack, I think, this year is, mm-hmm. is probably the way I'd look at it. Um, so we may well see people like... as well, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. So I think we'll probably see Carvalho and Elliot even as well get a bit of game time in that forward line this season. I know it was spoken about by the club about Oxlade-Chamberlain maybe doing mm-hmm. so as well. Personally, not my preference, but yeah. whatever. Um, I think Elliot probably gets a, a bit of game time on the on the right side there as well. So... Uh, let's assume that it is Firmino to start with. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Javi Elliott start the season again in that right side at eight slot, same as he did right, last year. Interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously lots is going to come down to how they perform in pre-season, how fit they're all looking and all that. But uh, I just think that if we are looking to be having a bit more cutting edge in the final third, if we're looking to be a bit more... Um, goal-centric, let's say, with the sign in the New Year's, then maybe in the games that Firmino is playing, we want that extra goal threat to come from midfield. Yeah, And I think you're probably more likely to get that from people like uh, Cater and um, Harvey Elliott than you are with Henderson, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's too much doubt over the other two. Like you say, as long as they're fit and we can manage them properly, it's going to be Firmino and Thiago as often as possible, especially mm-hmm. for the big games. Um, and as I said before, a couple of weeks back with Dave, I think Kanate starts this season as first choice. I mean, there's always going to be a bit of rotation there and the usual things of fitness and form and all the rest of it. But basically, he ended last season as the first choice, so I don't really see too much reason to change that. Yeah, I agree on Ebu and I, I agree with Bobby as well. I think just the way pre-season's gone, and it's not really from a performance point of view, I think Naby may start as the right centre-mid just because they've played exclusively together in pre-season. So I'm guessing that would be the plan because don't we have, we obviously play the early kickoff on the Saturday and then don't we have back-to-back Monday night kickoffs or something like that? So we have a lot of gap between games. It might be a week break between the Monday night kickoffs, but I'm sure we've got basically a long extended break between games at the start of the season. So I think he might try and use NFT as much as possible before the Champions League gets in and then we can, use Henderson more and use Elliot more, as you say. But I think, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it if it is Henderson and just stick to what we know. But I think the right centre-mid one is probably the most open one because I think Ebu and Matip will just rotate. Bobby will get a lot of minutes as long as he stays fit and Darwin will be introduced. But the right centre-mid, I think that might almost be hot horses for courses. So I think that'll be the most interesting position. Yeah, which is kind of the same as last season, isn't it? It was like almost mm-hmm. every game, depending on the, the team we were facing, we had a bit of a discussion over which midfielder it had to be and different skill sets, I think, for different oppositions. Um, and like you say, there's going to be a bit of a chance of rotation with the games once they start coming a bit quicker. But early on, if we haven't got too much of a heavy load, then a settled team is usually the, the preference of most managers, uh, as long as obviously the results are going well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get into expectations and then maybe predict where we'll finish. And then, well, hopefully not with Liverpool if we're finishing high, but usually these end up being horribly wrong. But expectations for the season, Carl, I think obviously top two's the minimum, you'd probably say, but a, re- a proper title challenge the minimum you can expect when the team's been so good? 
hundred percent. I mean, look, there's no real telling of how the season will pan out, and it could. We've seen many ridiculous things happen, even over the last three or four years, to be honest. But I think at the start of the season, you've got to be saying you would expect Liverpool to be within what three points, four points max mm-hmm. of the title come the end of the season, whichever side of that we're on. You know, there's no real reason to suggest that we're suddenly going to be seven points off the pace or anything like that, other than if stupid things happen. And we have got a mid-season World Cup, so there's definitely the potential for stupidities, but expectations are definitely going to be to to be in the mix for the title. And where do you think we'll finish in this title race? If we start well first, I think if we um if we can if we can get sort of towards that uh, the World Cup break and we have won the vast majority of our matches and um, you know maybe even build ourselves up a couple of points lead there, I don't think that we'll drop it in the second half of the season. Um I you know we'll get to them in a minute, but I I think, I feel like there is a little bit more cohesion to our team than Man City's at the minute. Um like I said, there's there's a few things to wonder about, like if we do go without Trent for any length of time, that kind of thing. But Overall, I really, really like the makeup of this team again, and I don't expect it to be anything like easy. I don't think we'll run away with it like we did when we mm-hmm. actually won the title 2020 or anything like that. But I think that there is no particular reason to think that we won't start the season well. Uh, the fixture list is not too bad for us at all, I wouldn't say. And as long as we steer clear of these silly patches of draws which we've got, at times, which I, again, I think the fixtures maybe might help us in that regard this time. Um, I, I'm going to say us, we win the title. You know what? I was always Liverpool's second, but I'm kind of growing more confident as the season gets closer. And I think we'll obviously talk about Man City literally after this, but I think if Haaland get in, gets injured, with them losing Sterling, um and kind of rejigging their their team more so than us. I think they're much more dependent on Haaland than we will be for Darwin. So if Haaland gets injured, which we know he will, we obviously know he's an excellent player, but his injury history is there for all to see. Um, If he gets injured, I think it's literally changing their entire style, whereas Darwin gets injured. He's obviously different to Jota and Bobby, but you'll still have more playing as more players and Diaz playing as Diaz players. Whereas if Haaland plays... Forden's moving to the middle, yada, yada, yada. I think there's a lot more change in Man City, but I have no doubt they'll be top two because I stupidly predicted Chelsea would win the league last year. So never doubt Liverpool or Man City is probably the, the story to go. But yeah, I, I'm going to go first as well. I think we'll definitely win one of the Premier League or the Champions League. And I only say that because, well, we lost to Real Madrid last time and won it the year after, so why not? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think we'll I think we'll win one of the big ones. Champions League is going to be really weird to predict this year, to be perfectly honest. Um, again, because it's obviously split either side of the World Cup, and there's going to be all that kind of mental nonsense to deal with afterwards as well for at least one group of players, isn't there? Um, you know, the, the losers of the final then have to suddenly go back and just pick themselves straight back up again for mm-hmm. a completely different team, a completely different just, set of just competitions. Not, not Brazil, please. <laughs> yeah, not Brazil. No. So, I mean, it's going to be quite weird. I mean, you can imagine if it's like, I don't know, like Spain get to the final and somehow get beaten or something like that. You know, I'm not sure too many Real Madrid players are going to be in it, but Barca got obviously certain decent players involved. And um, there could be one or two surprise, um, let's say, semi-finalists at the very least, I reckon, Mm -hmm. this year. Usually we've got to that stage and it is 
you know, the 2002, let's go. Yeah. Bit weird. It was like, yeah. So, I mean, there's a bit six sides, sort of more or less, who are there, thereabouts. I reckon we might get at least one, if not maybe two odd teams this year. Not win the World Cup? No. Oh, I was going to say hopefully then. <laughs> um, anyway, um, yeah, so we've both said first, whatever with the Champions League, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for another day when, well, maybe after the World Cup when it's not that much of a mess. But we'll move on to City, Carl. Um, let's go through their transfer business. Uh, Erling Haaland, we mentioned there. Uh, Stefan Ortega's replaced Zach Stefan as the backup. And Calvin Phillips, who we'll talk about in a sec. Quite an interesting one. I mean, the sales are almost the more... Well, not done, because... Haaland's obviously huge, but more interesting thing. Fernandinho's obviously gone. Gavin Bazunu, not really relevant, but he's an excellent young keeper by all accounts. Uh, some young centre-backs went to Burnley. Gabby Jesus, uh, more youngsters, although Southampton just buying all their youngsters for stupid amount of money needs to investigate him. Uh, Sterling went for about 50-odd mil, if I remember correctly. Uh, more youngsters. Zinchenko went to Arsenal for about 35 mil. So it's a lot of squad turnover for uh, for City, and links-wise, they've only been linked to Cucurella. So, as we said, I think it's a lot more turnover for them than it is us this summer. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that in general. I mean, they've kind of done the similar things to what we have, to be perfectly honest. I mean, they've obviously turned over the goalkeeper um, position a little bit. They've brought in Ortega Moreno and it's gotten rid of uh, Murch on loan, Stefan on loan. Oh, Murch might have gone permanently this year, I can't remember now. And, I think uh, he did, yeah. It was two, yeah, two Mizuno obviously left as well. So there's a bit of a turnover there in goal, but it's not going to make any difference because none of them are starters anyway. Um, Harlan coming in and Phillips coming in, I think, is two quite big first-team pieces of the puzzle, let's say. I think that, mm-hmm. that um, you would expect them to start the vast majority of games this side of Christmas, I would imagine, uh, as, a, as a separate Even Phillips? Yeah, yeah, I think I think oh, Phillips is like a, a certain, let's say, almost a double pivot player coming in basically to let right. them just basically uh, have a base and let the rest of them attack. That's basically what I think they're going to be trying to do here, just to integrate Haaland a little bit, trying to uh, obviously let him play his way and let him get to grips with how City play, but without having too much emphasis on him need to have all the movement, the off-the-ball work, the defensive position, all that kind of thing. They they need the same as us. They need to hit the ground running and score lots of goals and win lots of games before the World Cup starts mm-hmm. and get themselves in a really good position because you cannot possibly know what's going to happen afterwards. So the best way for them to do that is to let Haaland score a load of goals. And the best way to do that is give themselves a midfield base. And if they've got uh, Rodri and Phillips playing together in midfield on a, a pretty regular basis, then you've got options. I wouldn't say they've got millions of options, but they've got options to go ahead of them. You know, the Bruyne and uh, Silva at the minute still, and Gundogan, and um, who am I forgetting? Who's quite big? Phil Foden, obviously, and Grealish. So, and Mares. So they've got plenty mm-hmm. of players to, to rotate around that three. But then also, don't forget that, like us, they, they arranged a deal halfway through last season, and Julian Alvarez at the minute is going to be involved yes, with them. Yeah. So they do still have a little bit of depth there, which maybe didn't look like it would be the case at first, but they, I think they're pretty much okay, to be honest. I wouldn't be surprised to see them play a very, very 4-2-3-1, um, quite, quite more rigid than they have done previously, at least, uh, at least to start out the season. I think the bigger questions for them are still in defence again, because they... I wouldn't say they've really improved anything at all there in defence over the last couple of years. And like you say, Kugure is the, the linked player, but it's not done yet. And He seems more backup, if anything, to be fair. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I assume it's still going to be Walker right back, Cancelo left yeah. back. That's how they have been pretty happy to play. But... And strangely, I think he's more of a backup to Walker than Cancelo. They obviously play opposite sides, so it's a bit, a bit stylistically, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Can- Cancelo obviously able to play both sides. I think it's probably as well for them that Nathan Ake didn't go to Chelsea in the end, not because he's necessarily a match winner for them, but because otherwise you're probably relying on getting in two extra players then as well, because mm-hmm. he does cover. Uh, at least a couple of roles for them. So I still see that as their weakness at the moment. We'll, we'll see which of their usual three centre-backs kind of emerge as the, the first-choice partnership. But I, I wouldn't say I was massively overwhelmed by how City are looking in defence at the moment. Yeah, and I was going to ask you some questions there, but I think it'll just lead on, into the team. But anyway, so we'll go for it. I mean, Edison's obviously starting in goal. The two full-backs we mentioned there... Laporte Diaz to start, unless John Stones gets another crack at it, but I'd guess it'd be the first two. Um, I'd say Rod- Rodri's a locked in because he was probably one of the best midfielders in the country last season, if not the best. De Bruyne, certainty, uh, Haaland, certainty, and Ford, uncertainty. Obviously, Pep Roulette exists and all that jazz, but I think they're the ones you'll see in the majority of teams. Um, now, you said Phillips will start in the two, so you're you're looking at a change in formation from the four. Well, they listed the four three three, but we know it's kind of four all midfield. <laughs> um, but do you see it more as a really defined four two three one now? I won't. I won't be surprised. At least off the ball to start with. Um, again, until you've sort of integrated people into the team and know, oh, they know their their roles and where they need to be for pet ball off the ball and every single little space on the pitch has to be covered for particular areas of play and all the rest of it. I think them having a double pivot kind of simplifies things a little bit. Like Phillips is perfectly fine tactically. I don't think he'll have any problems if he is asked to play as a number eight at times. But I think that to start the season, if you are just kind of focusing on not dropping points, it's probably best to simplify everything, to be honest. And you just Mm -hmm. let De Bruyne and whoever he's playing with just run riot. Um, I think that there's enough there in that Man City team to to more than do that against uh, pretty much every opponent that they've got coming up in the opening period in season. And uh, yeah, like I said, I, I think it's more than to do with Phillips. I think it's about getting the most that you can early doors out of Haaland, to be honest. You know, mm. It's such a, not just the investment part of it in him, but the, like you say, the, the almost the reliance of goals from him because they've taken out two goal scorers from the team in Sterling and Jesus and kind of replacing him just with, Harland, and then we'll see how much. Um, oh, his name's completely gone out of my head. Julian Alvarez actually plays. Obviously, I'm not sure how how much game time he's going to get at the start mm. of the season. Is he more? Is he more of a, a wide threat than a than a nine? Because I, I, outside of being a FIFA wonder boy, I have no idea what he is as a player. Yeah, so I mean, he played he played from the left when he was at River, but he also played like as a sort of split forwards and a second forward at times as well. So I, I would. So he's probably he's more the Jesus replacement. I assume so, but yeah. you know we've seen all of Pep's attacking signings come in and play a completely different role. To be honest, I mean, left back is <laughs> yeah, Bernardo Silva coming in as a, a right midfielder, basically in a four-four-two, and he's played as a false nine and as an eight and a left side and the right. So I don't think there's uh, too much need to worry about what Alvarez has done beforehand. He could well end up as like the partner for Ruben Diaz or something by the time yeah. Pep's finished with him. Absolutely. Now, it's probably the interesting one because we, we know Pep will rotate pretty much every game, so this almost feels pretty much pointless. But I'll ask you anyway. I think Gundogan will start the season, but I understand with the Phillips thing. I think 
but yeah, if they want a bit more security, I think Phillips will be the one. But I really like Gundogan. Um, where do you see De Bruyne playing? Because he could go back to his Wolfsburg days and play on the right. Or do you see more as the defined 10 and then stuff happens around him? Yeah, I would say so. I, I think you keep De Bruyne in the middle as often as you can, to be honest. I mean, there, there will be games when he wants to filter out wide and probably uh, have a bit of a, a buffet, let's say, of delivery into Haaland um, with those little whip balls that he does around the mm-hmm. back of the defence. I can see De Bruyne are probably getting 20 assists this season just from Haaland alone, to be perfectly honest. But... Just for a dink into the box, easy work. Yeah, <laughs> but I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if it was like Silva right side, De Bruyne in the middle and then Foden left or, you know. Grealish comes in or whoever it is, Mares. So yeah, like I said, they got they got plenty of options in those three behind the one. And even if it is a four three three nominally and you get Phillips pushing on a little bit more, then it's mm-hmm. still De Bruyne essentially. I think you just kind of again though, if you have that double pivot platform, it's kind of frees De Bruyne up a little bit to go and get on the ball, wreak havoc and find Haaland however you can. Mm-hmm. Now uh... I, I'd, I'd guess Foden will be one of the two. I'm not sure. He's obviously predominantly played on the left, but people are saying if they want to get the best out of Grealish, he'll have to play on the left, obviously. So maybe Foden goes back to the right, which he did in his younger days, I think. Um, as I said, this is almost pointless because it will change game by game. But do you think everyone rates Foden, and rightfully so, because the talent's there, but do you think he can take a, a big uptick in terms of his output? Because I think that's the one thing that's missing from him becoming oh, yeah, properly definitely. world-class. Yeah, definitely. No, he's you know, only just turned 22 a couple of months ago, hasn't he? So mostly when you've got young attacking midfielders and forwards, it's sort of around the 23-24 when they'll sort of just explode in terms of productivity output. You think of how old Gerard was when he suddenly went from like one, two, three goals a season up until eight, 12, 15 mm. and beyond that. You know, it wasn't until that 24-25 sort of period of time. Um, I, I wouldn't expect that to be any different. Even people like a level or two of quality below people like Aaron Ramsey. It wasn't again until 23, 24, 25 years of old. That's, that's the sort of time where you've got the technical skills already. You're finished developing a little bit more and you kind of get off, not so much off the leash tactically, but you understand a little bit more of the game and the movement that you need to put in to, to find yourself in the box. Really at a young age for goal scorers, it's only like those really, really natural number nines who'll get big numbers. And even they, if they rely too much on like physical attributes, let's say it might be quite short lived for them. Uh, you think of people like, uh, say, Kelechi Inacho, for example, since we're talking about Man City, you know, he came in and it was all about his movement, really, really clever, decent mm. finisher, but it was mostly his movement. That's the kind of thing that a number nine would rely on uh, in, in the younger days, unless they got absolutely blind in pace, like Michael Owen did, for example, something like that. So for the attacking fielders, for players who are much more based on technical ability and movement, the final third. I wouldn't expect that to come for at least another two years for Foden. But in this team, if he does play, let's say, central at times a little bit more often, he's probably still capable of a dozen, something like that. And this is a guy who is already a one-in-four player. Let's not forget, it's not like he doesn't score goals. He's got 24 Premier League goals in less than 100 games. So he's doing all right. Yeah, yeah. I think the talent's obviously there. If he, if he, just take, if he takes another jump, he'll, he'll certainly go into probably top 10 in the world status. I think that's his next jump. So, yeah, I think that's scary potential. Um, I think Bernardo will obviously play a lot because he always plays a lot because he's excellent and he's basically just a pet player. Um, In this formation, probably right wing's probably the position for him, but Pep will probably change between formations as well because, well, he is Pep Guardiola. Um, 
seemingly not the odd man out, but do you think Grealish will take a, an uptick as well? Because obviously, first season stats people liked him and stuff like that. But whenever I watch Man City, there was certainly a better team without him on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of the same as quite a few attacking players, to be honest, who have come into the Man City team. You know, there, there's too many very good players there for them to be a star. And I think maybe people are used to seeing Grealish as the best player in the team and assume that that has sure. to continue for him to be very good. It doesn't. Uh, he's playing in a different team with different requirements on him. I, I don't think he's anywhere near City's best player. I don't think he will be. But can he be a bit better than last season? Sure. And I think he probably needs to be as well. Because once it gets to sort of the Champions League, FA Cup final, Premier League title winning end of the season, he wasn't really very trusted last season. He wasn't really there in, you know, like I spoke about back from what March, something like that. I said, expected Liverpool and Klopp to narrow it down to sort of 15 key players, basically. Mm -hmm. And they would always rotate in and out. Well, Grealish was not in City's group of 14, 15 players. He was outside of that. So if he wants to do a lot better this season, I'm talking about getting towards I don't know, maybe two and a half thousand minutes in the Premier League and plenty more than his 400 odd minutes of the Champions League last season. He's got quite a way to go yet. You know, he could be adding another thousand minutes game time to his overall total in all competitions. No problem because he has the talent, but there needs to be a lot more consistency from him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we finish on Man City with our prediction, I mean, Haaland, we, we've kind of tiptoed around him, but you obviously loved him. You you wanted every Liverpool to do everything to get him, but we, we know the wage packet and stuff, and it's very it would be very un-Liverpool and stuff like that. But injuries aside, I mean, how much of a scary prospect is he going to Man City? Because we, we know the creativity, and we've gone through the creativity in that team. Outrageous. He's absolutely ludicrous. I fully expect him to outscore everybody at the start of the season. Obviously, we'll see again how it goes second half of the season and all the unknowns that go with it, but I think he's just a phenomenon. Don't like that. <laughs> There's only like... one. Look, it's, it's the same thing. Like we've, It's not like we're lacking in our own brilliant players, yeah. is it? Like I, I don't think he's going to like go 15 goals ahead of Salah, and even if he does, Liverpool can still outscore Man City. It doesn't really matter. Mm. Haaland himself is a match winner. He is a player capable of helping them win the Champions League because he can score goals against the best teams in the biggest of games. He really is. But in a, a season-long title fight, I'm not convinced one player ever will make that much difference unless it's like you have the world's best goalkeeper in your team and the others have, I don't know, an average to average to good sort of goalkeeper you know it's very very rare that a single person will make that much difference that they just lead a team to a title not in the modern age of football anyway um so yeah Draw he's, against he's really, I understand. yeah there you go exactly so so i mean that it is he's phenomenal there's no point hiding away from it we haven't got to be scared about it because we have our own phenomenal players it's not a problem but overall i think that they have and even had bigger issues than sorting out a number nine exactly the same as i would say for us and it's quite interesting that both teams, both managers have decided to go for that change of approach in that particular position at the same time. But I think we're better suited at the minute at the other end of the pitch than they are. And that, mm-hmm. as we know, is is obviously a really, really big thing when it comes to winning the title. Don't concede goals. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to guess you're going to say second. <laughs> second by distance. As in to Ooh. third, not, not to first. Oh, okay. I was going to say. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. 
there were like I said before, I, I don't expect that there'll be any more than three or four points between the two teams at the end of the mm-hmm. season again. But I do expect that there'll be a little bit of a gap down to third. Yeah, flip of a coin between Liverpool and City then. Now, now these are probably the more interesting teams to talk about. And Chelsea, who we're going to talk about next, I mean, they've had such a basically horrendous summer. I mean, they've had people leaving on freeze. Obviously, Rudiger was a huge part of their team. Everyone they've tried to sign, apart from Raheem Sterling, is gone, has gone to Barcelona. <laughs> Even the people that are free have gone to Barcelona or Real Madrid. Um, yeah, it, it's been a weird summer for, for Chelsea. And we've seen Thomas Tuchel air his frustration the other day after after losing to Arsenal in pre-season. But going into the season, obviously they could sign people in the week and a half that till till the season actually starts and the window's still open till September. But at the min, I think they're substantially weaker. Exits that they've had, obviously. I think Rudiger and Christensen out are big losses for the way that they played and the way that Tuchel sets them up. Uh, even if you say Koulibaly coming in is you know to cancel out Rudiger, you've still lost depth. You've still lost the centre of the three replacement when Thiago Silva's not playing. That's Christensen. Um, I don't know how they're ever going to recover from the loss of Danny Drinkwater either. Uh, that's <laughs> obviously a terrible thing for them. Um, Lukaku... I mean, I think one for one, how they how they played last season, and obviously how Tuchel's trying to use his attack, they're better off having Sterling instead of Lukaku. But it's a huge financial hit, and it is a bit of an embarrassment all around. And I'm not honestly sure who I blame more for it, Lukaku himself or Thomas Tuchel, because there should have been a very very easy way to to make him a success. And obviously, somewhere along the line, someone's not been fully invested in it, and they've given up on it really really quickly. Like mm. unbelievably quickly, and apparently have already told Inter that they can have him on loan for next season as well. So Bloody it's not going to get any better. They're not going to get any more, you know, extra funds from him uh, on, on a resale or anything. So it's quite a rebuild job that they have on still. Uh, they still need, I think, one, two, at least two. A centre back and a centre mid are must-haves, um, but who they end up getting, God knows, because the list of centre-backs they've been linked with is growing bigger and bigger and I'm not sure it's going in the right direction either in terms no. of quality. No, I think obviously Kunde seems to be the, seems to have been the one from last summer. Obviously they've targeted other people as well, but again, Barcelona being knobheads. Um, got Koulibaly in, you'd expect he locks in the left-sided centre-back role if the Aztec can free at the back. Obviously they could change, but I can't really see Thiago Silva and Koulibaly working in the Premier League. Especially with their attacking fullbacks. Um, Skriniar's been linked, but he was linked to PSG, and I think Inter may want to keep him now because um, they missed out on Bremer, didn't they? Obviously. So, yeah, it's been a tough, tough summer for Chelsea. Um, I think we'll get into the team because that's more interesting than anything at the, at the min. Mendy's obviously the keeper. Do you think? Do you think three at the back or four at the back? Three at the back again. Uh, I don't see any reason or even ability to change at the minute based on who has come in. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. I think with Silva being a lock at the centre centre back, you'd have to change the way the fullbacks play to to uh, to accommodate mid four at the back. So yeah, I agree with that. Um, so right side centre back, I suppose it's just Chalaba by default at the minute, and then Tiago Silva and Koulibaly. Wing backs Chilwell and, and uh, Rich James. I think that. I think the wing backs are good. Midfield, because I think midfield's an issue now. 
because obviously Sal didn't work out at all last summer with the loan. Uh, Kante seems to be dropping off quite quickly, um, apart from when he plays Liverpool, obviously. Um, Kovacic is fantastic, but outside of Kovacic, I think there's quite a lot of question marks there. Conor Gallagher's came back in, not sure if he's ready to start for Chelsea, and I, I think he started on the right wing for Chelsea in pre-season, which doesn't really fill him full of confidence. So I'd say Kovacic plus one. Never been a fan of Jorginho, but he's, yeah, he's, he's rated by people. Um, and the attack, you'd say Mount, Havertz and Sterling for now, although I'm not sure how that fit perfectly together, but I think they'd be the three. But yeah, a couple question marks there and a couple unideal positions for people. Yeah, that's what I say. I think they definitely need a, another centre mid. I mean, you know, you're pretty much going with the same as what they had last year in terms of Jorginho, Kante and Kovacic, and then probably Loftus-Cheek is the, the fourth again, isn't he? Because I don't think Barkley, I don't think Gilmore are going to get themselves back in at the moment. Um, Conor Gallagher might get some game time, but not really. I think they played a, a 4-2-3-1 in one of the recent friendlies, or at least part of it as well. Um, but again, I don't think that Thiago Silva is part of a, a four-man defence is ideal. Um, Koulibaly will be fine, but don't really know that you get the best out of uh, anyone actually in that in that back line. Apart from Chilwell, he's probably the the most natural left sided or, or you know four man defence. He's used to it from from playing at Leicester and with England, obviously. Um, but even Koulibaly, I think the way that they probably want to use him is not too dissimilar to how Rudiger was playing, uh, being a bit more aggressive and that kind of thing. But unless the plan is to obviously bring in somebody who can play alongside Koulibaly, and then Silver is suddenly. The, the alternate, let's say, or to come on later in tight matches and then they go to a back three. That might work fine, but then it's very, very important who you bring in as this the, the new centre-back and also, again, in midfield because you can't just have just those three again for the season. Kante obviously suffering more and more injuries. Jorginho, as I've said before, I, I'm not that high on him. I think he's fine. He mm-hmm. does a decent job in certain games, in certain situations, but... I wouldn't be relying on him to be a start centre mid every week if I want to win the league. And he's only really worked when they've done three at the back as well because less defensive responsibility. And obviously he's mm. not really attacking as well. So I think if they change from that, he, he won't really have a, form, a position unless they do 4-3-3 three, three and he's basically the pivot again. But yeah, then Kovacic and whoever in that, it's not really. I don't think that's a, a title winning season unless they go full Liverpool Brexit your midfield. <laughs> um, but they don't have the attacking quality to do that. Um, who's doing the goals? Going to be a share them around approach. And to be fair, all of Mount, Havertz, Sterling, Pulisic and Timo Werner should be capable of the 8 to 14 category, all of them, which mm. is quite a lot of goals all told. So it's not a problem in and of itself. But I think it's really past time that at least one of those Chelsea attackers who are almost really, really good actually came out and would manage to nail down the starting spot. And let's say, you know, I am the one who's going to start. Obviously we expect Sterling to, he'll be one of them, but somebody else needs to, someone out of that group, someone out of, even Ziyech, I suppose is still in there, but Pulisic who's been he's so still good at times. Yeah. He's, he's still really good at times and still really injured and still really anonymous at all other times. I'm sure he signed for Milan four times by now. <laughs> yeah. And Callum Hudson-Odoi as well, you know. I mean, oh, God, I've spoken about him plenty of times. He's He's got so much talent, but when have we ever seen him get like a run of like 12 games and be consistently good across all of them? 
Mm. Um, Timo Werner, is he going to have shooting boots on? Is he going to play in plimsolls this year? Nobody knows. Uh, we're still yet to see if they'll even keep Amanda Broja with them or not. It's been linked mm-hmm. with West Ham very heavily. So it's it's still very, very uncertain at Chelsea in attack, uh, or in fact, all the way through the team. There's a lot of potential there. There's a lot of quality there, but they haven't quite put it together yet. And we're not we're not really sure how they're going to put it together yet, which is maybe not the most optimal situation to be in like two weeks out from the season. Yeah. Obviously, we we know Chelsea's history with with sacking managers and putting managers under pressure. We don't know Todd Bowley well unless you're. I think he was part owner of uh, is it the Dodgers? I think it is. So I've no, no clue how they go through general managers in baseball and stuff like that. But if this was Roman, I think he'd have a lot of pressure going into this season. Do you think Tuchel any chance? I mean, if he's fighting for fourth and he's losing the fight for fourth, could could you see him go? Um, I'd be surprised if they did this year. I don't really see too many other managers out there they could get. It would be an upgrade. And also, we're basically told that he's having a really big input in who they go for this year. So it would be a bit weird to give him the say over transfers and then bin him off. Todd might fancy a go at managers. <laughs> he might well do. I just, I'm not really sure how that one would go. Um, don't think we want to go full Ted Lasso, do we? So. <laughs> Uh, I, I would be surprised because there's so much else to sort out at that club. And let's not forget, it's not just the, the transfers of the players, but like people like Marina Granovskaya have left and a big changeover with the with the board and the chairman mm-hmm. and the, all the people who come between manager and directors. There's loads and loads of people there who they'll be turning over with their own people coming in. Um, Todd Bowley is not obviously going to stay in the role of having such a, a hands-on thing after this summer. So... There's a lot to go through there. I don't think changing the head coach in the first few months when he is a proven manager, maybe not among the absolute elite, but still very, very good. I'm not sure that's the the wisest move they could make. Yeah, unless Bowley is mental, (laughs) which might be possible. Um, Mm. I I think it'd be kind of crazy unless someone really huge wanted the job. I mean, Zidane's not in a job, but I don't think he could probably help manage rebuild a club like Chelsea is with, with two club at them in. But yeah, it'd have to take someone becoming available, I think. Um, where do you think, well, where do you think they want to finish and where do you think they'll um, actually finish? Uh, if they finish third, I doubt they'd be too disappointed with it, depending on how far off that is. Um, I would probably still just about make them favourites for the top four, but based on what deals have been done so far, I'd say fourth. I'm going to say fifth. I think they might be both men. I am. I am indeed. I think, obviously, this could all change. They could spend like 100 mil in the in the <laughs> month left and just have a completely different team. But at this minute, I think defence doesn't look right. Not really loads of depth at wing back. But if they if them two stay fit, I think it will click so much better. But the midfield's a concern and the attacks are concerned. So, yeah, they're basically the spine's a bit shit apart from Mendy, who... Well, he can't kick a ball, so he's not as good as Allison. Um, but yeah, I, I'll, I'll go fifth, but that could change easily, easily with a couple signings, I think. Um, moving on to Spurs, who've had a really busy window, which I will list out for people when I've done scrolling towards Spurs. Uh, there we are. Uh, they've got Perisic in on a free, Fraser Forster on in a free. Uh, Basuma, I think, was about 25 to 30 odd mil. Richarlison for 60 odd funny money. Uh, youngster, youngster, Clevin Longley and Jed Spence. Um, have they lost anyone of note? I don't think they have really. Stephen Bergwijn, if you count him. 
Uh, and that's basically it, apart from youngsters and Cameron Carter Vickers. So, a busy window. We obviously knew Conte was going to be backed. They um, added a hundred, uh, injected one hundred and fifty million into the club very early on in the summer. But what, what have you made of their their summer so far going into the season? Mostly good. I mean, obviously there is going to be a big focus now from Paratici on outgoing deals. I think they need to get rid of at least four. Whether they're actually going to manage to sell all them and recoup some money, I have my doubts. I don't think mm-hmm. there's going to be a huge market for um, Tangy and Dombele, the way that they're sort of shopping him around anywhere and everywhere. Harry Winks, the same. I think you're relying on a lot of sort of Brexity type of managers to come in and say, oh, he's Frank ideal Lampard. to build around. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, Harry Winks is 26 years old, you know. This is not someone who's going to come in and be, you know, a 23-year-old or something like that mm. who's going to develop with you. He is what he is, and he's he's not that good. That's the that's the, the brutal fact of the matter when you compare him to even Europa League standard midfield teams out there. I probably wouldn't put him in any of them, to be perfectly honest. So I, I think you're looking um, at the lower bottom half for him, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So whether there's the money there, from certain teams for him, we'll, we'll see. Um, probably another forward or attacker, at least one of them has to go, because otherwise... It's... One of the 200 wing-backs has got to go as well. <laughs> yeah, at least one of them. Um, I don't like Clement Longley. I think he's rubbish. I think he's absolute mm. garbage, to be perfectly honest. But in a back three, probably he gets a bit more protection. Probably he can play central for them as well as on the left-hand side. I mean, the uh, question there as... is, does he dis- does he get in over Dyer or Davies? Well, this is what I said a couple of weeks ago on one of the pods. I, I wouldn't necessarily play him over Ben Davies. I thought Ben Davies played really well mm. at the end of last season in the back three. It's systemic, obviously. He's not a great defender, but in that back three role where he's able to uh, cover out wide for the fullback or for the wingback who's gone really pushing forward, it's ideal. He was able to play into midfield pretty neatly. That was ideal. You put Clement Longley out towards the touchline because... Perisic is still bombing fifty still yards a, upfield still or something a like that. <laughs> yeah, and you watch and you watch how Clement Longley defends in wide areas. It's abysmal. It's mm. absolutely atrocious. It's worse than Dejan Lovren used to be when he got pulled out to the right hand side. I'm, I'm getting those, the flashbacks. Yeah, all, all, exactly what I was going to say. All those Crystal Palace nightmares that you guys had. That's exactly what Spurs fans are going to be suffering with Longley when he gets dragged out wide. So mm. he can play in the middle, like I say, and be that sort of cleary, heady, do the kicking one. Um, instead mm-hmm. of Eric Dyer, is it a big upgrade? I don't think so. I think they've basically added themselves some cover there. Jaffa Tenganga may be going to Milan as well. So I'm not sure. Again, I, I love that deal from a Spurs perspective. I think he's a decent defender in a back three, and then you could have moved Romero over into the middle. But obviously, Antonio Conte has a very, very fixed idea of who he likes and does not like. And if you are not on the like list, you are not playing a minute. Mm. That's how Conte it goes. Conte only does one youngster a generation, and that was that um, young centre-back. At, that's Tony, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah you can forget the rest. So yeah. we'll see if Jed Spence plays more than 60 minutes this season. <laughs> uh, no, he should be right, obviously. I think Spence... Emerson Royale, they need to bin off. Matt Doherty probably needs to be binned. Sergio Regalon apparently doesn't like it the slightest. So it's going to be Spence and uh man who's for game of name I've completely forgotten, Ryan Sessignon and Perisic. And I'm not really sure who else is I going think to get I think he'll keep one of Doherty and Emerson. I think I think it, that's it the probably you probably have to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, 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 don't I don't like you, but you've got to stay mates. <laughs> get in the bin. Even for Antonio Conte, it is a bit of a big turnover 
for the squad that was needed. So it probably is going to take a couple of years. But I do really like what they've got in midfield now. I think with Basuma, Hoiberg, um, Benton Co, they've got three there who you can play any two of, and you're kind of going to get the same uh, tactical output. You're going to get the same technical level from them. You're going to get the same sort of determination and aggression from them. I do really like that as a as a three to pick between. And Dombele obviously doesn't fit in there. He doesn't want Marcelo, so still things to change around there. But the big thing for Spurs is that they have added a third and a fourth attacker who are all of a very similar level now. Mm. Rich Allison, obviously a little bit lower, but basically they've they've improved that massively. They've gone from Kane and Son have to do everything to Kane and Son and Kulosevsky and Rich Allison. And that is a big, big thing, especially if you're not necessarily focused on the cups and that kind of thing. If you can just keep them for Champions League and the league and then not worry about whatever else happens, then that's four really, really strong ones to choose between. Yeah, I mean, if you if they do sell, the, well, the, there's hundreds of people they don't want in the squad. Do you think they'll maybe maybe address, like, let's say, centre-back, because that seems to be the one that's unchanged, or maybe get a, a locked-in right wing-back or something like that? Yeah, um, I'd probably go for centre-back myself, based mm-hmm. on what Antonio Conte usually likes to do. But, you know, we've seen him make do with wing-backs who are 600 years old and have previously been um, uncovered from Arctic ice and that sort of thing, haven't we? So... I think if he has to make do at wing-back, he probably will do, uh, even if he has to basically run alongside Emerson Royale down the touchline and make sure that he gets back in position. He did else. get better towards the end of the season. It may have been Conte trying to threaten his family or something, but he yeah. did improve yeah. a bit. A bit, but not much. And there's, I'm not sure there's too much improvement to be in his <laughs> game, to be honest, because he's just... Where's he's Victor Mo- where is Victor Moses nowadays? I think he's still in Turkey, isn't he? Turkey. That sounds like a that sounds like a transfer waiting to happen. I reckon. Um, or Ashley Young, maybe Ashley Young. Uh, yeah, I, I like some of these signings. I think Richarlison. When you say sixty mil, you you kind of scream of inside, but you understand he's versatile. He can play basically all three of the positions, but still too much money for me. I don't I don't really care. I think Basuma's maybe the signing of the summer. To be fair, twenty five mil. For a midfielder at Bournemouth, at, at Brighton, he didn't really play with another midfielder because Adam Lallana is Adam Lallana, and he dominated teams on his own. If he can do that with better players around him, maybe Benton Cork can play a bit higher or something like that because I'm guessing that would be the two that start, but we'll go through that in a sec. But, yeah, I think Basuma's excellent. Um, Spence did really well at Forest. He wasn't like the Borough, so that'll be interesting to see. And Langley, he's pretty shit by all their accounts, as you say. And Perisic, if he stays fit, he'll be a really good upgrade at left wing back. But we'll go through the team. Um, Loris in goal, I presume. Uh, Romero, Dyer, Davies, presumably the back three. Uh, Perisic, left wing back. I'd say Benton Corbusuma. Well, although I haven't really looked up their pre-season, so I'm not sure who's been starting there. Right wing back, probably just fight to the death and see who wins at the moment. Um, and then I'd guess Kulisevsky starts over a chat. No, Richardson's suspended for the start of the season, I think, anyway. So, yeah, Kulisevsky, Kane and Son. Um, any any different to my team there? No, no disagreements for me. Like I said, Langley could come into the team. Hopefully he does and they lose a load of games and it's because of him. There you go. Hopefully, but that, I think Conte will fight him if he loses some games, so he'll probably get benched I, I straight away. Think, I think Conte will literally put him in a bin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, expectations again, because obviously Conte 
we don't know how long he'll stay at Spurs. He could literally be walking out the door by the end of September because he just can't be asked. Um, but let's say he stays for the season. You see, I think he's only got the, the year left on his contract. Do you see this as an opportunity for them to to stay locked in at fourth, or do you think he should target the cups? Because I'm not saying the Champions League, but I think he won he won the FA Cup at Chelsea. I'm not sure how he did in the League Cup, but he is obviously a serial winner. Do the Spurs need to take advantage of this and get over the? the Spurs stigma of being trophyless for so long. hundred percent, hundred percent. You don't bring in Antonio Conte and try and get fourth. I'm sorry. You just don't. He is here to win stuff. And that is the reason they've gone out and spent over a hundred million without bringing any money in yet. That's why that's because he is here and because he has demanded that those players come in early and he has them to work with for as long as possible. He will be wanting to go into this season, trying to keep pace with Liverpool and Man City. I don't think that they will. I think that they're still at least three, maybe four players off in their starting 11 from doing that, starting within goal, who's their captain. And that's you know mm-hmm. a question of how you want to play and how good you think, how how long you think he can stay at the level that he is. But I think his level is, you know, Hugo Reese's is, is obviously still a level below uh, Alisson and, and Ellison anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that they're going to be title challenging when it gets to like April or so. But if he can keep Spurs keeping pace into the new year, I think he'll have done a really good job. And late late seventies point wise would be good. Uh, yeah, maybe a little higher. I yeah, he. I think actually he'll want to be pushing towards that eighties zone. And I think that they should absolutely. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Conte doesn't really care too much about the Champions League. He's done it before with Inter Milan, where he mm-hmm. just focused completely on the league uh, on Serie A and didn't really do too much uh, in the Champions League. Went out in the group stage, all that kind of thing. So I wouldn't be surprised if he really does try and go for one of the domestic cups this year and is a little bit take it or leave it with the Champions League. That might not be the case, obviously. He might want he might see this as an opportunity, like I just said before. We might see one or two teams who are not normally in the last four actually get there this year. If they get a kind quarterfinal draw or something like that, and they just mm-hmm. manage to have a good little run when they come back, when everyone comes back after the World Cup, maybe, maybe Spurs are a team like that and they'll be able to do so. But I, I would be horrified if I was a Tottenham fan, having Antonio Conte, having spent this amount of money, having Harry Kane, probably going into the last, what, two, three years of his prime if he didn't mm-hmm. get all out for a cup of some description this year. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I don't care if it's the League, League Cup's probably the easiest one to manage with the FA Cup. There'll be like five games a week by the time the FA Cup's in full swing. So, yeah, maybe target the League Cup and get that done because, well, it's finished by February, I presume, unless the World Cup gets in the way. It might be a tad later this year. Um, but, yeah, target the League Cup. See how you do in the Champions League, but get top four in a League Cup. I think, I think that's a huge season for uh, for Spurs. Um, so where where do you see them finishing? Third. I do agree with that as well. I think if it was any other manager, bar a handful, I, I'd probably say a lot lower. But Conte is probably one of my favourite managers in the world outside of Klopp and, and a couple of us. But yeah, I'm going third. I think the block's just too good at what he does. Moving on then to Arsenal. Again, a very busy uh, summer, if I can scroll. Uh, Marquinhos in, not that one. Um, Fabio Vieira in from Paul, or Matt Turner, uh, American goalkeeper from New England Revolution. Gabby Jesus and Alexander Zinchenko. Uh, they probably have to sell before the buy as well, but I think they are linked with, with other players as well. Um, I kind of like the summer, but they've not 
it depends where Zinchenko plays, but they've not replaced what I pre- saw as their biggest weakness, and that is midfield. So it, it's an odd one for me. But I like the summer, but I think they need, well, get Zaka out the town, team, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be a good start. Uh, I, I wonder, I assume, that Zinchenko is coming into play um, in centre mid. I don't really see him as a left back, and they have you know left back options anyway, people like Kieran. Obviously. He is made out of damp newspaper, though. Yeah, there's that. Um, and there's been talk, obviously, Nuno Tavares could, could leave and go maybe to Brighton or someone like that if yeah. they sell Kugurea to Man City and merry-go-round keeps on going. But I don't know. I mean, I, I struggled to see Zinchenko playing left-back for anybody other than Pep Guardiola. That's the truth. And right, he, okay. he really does manage to impact games from midfield. Um, we've seen that in the national team and on the odd occasion when he has been able to you know, get a cup run out in midfield or anything like that. So I assume he is coming in to be a midfielder for them, at least some of the time. And when you consider people like Tomas has not had a full pre-season, let's say. Um, Lucas Torreira is obviously still on the verge of going out. Ainsley Maitland-Mars is supposedly on his way out. There's 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 a spot at the very least, you know. Elneny and Sambi Lokonga are fine as squad players, but you'd probably want them as third and fourth at best, maybe even fourth and fifth. So you need a new person in there in midfield who's going to take you up a level, at the very least, take you up a level through midfield. And I think he's Zinchenko has probably got the technical capabilities and a bit of creativity there, but also has that sort of resilience and defensive awareness about him from playing in the back line for quite a while now. Yeah, it, it. I don't know. I kind of like their summer, but it's weird at the same time because Vieira, as we'll get through in the starting eleven type thing, similar to Odegaard, so probably won't be a star, but be a very good option. Here's who I'm kind of growing more and more as we see uh, see the preseason, but the, the league might change that. And Zinchenko, good left back cover. It, it, when Tierney gets injured, because he will. But if he does play in midfield, maybe they switch to a three-man midfield or something like that. Or, yeah, he just outright replaces Xhaka, which I think is the best-case scenario. Um, does, when when does Arteta become under pressure, though? Because he's been backed probably more so than any manager since Wenger was spending money on Ozil and Sanchez. So it's a big um, one. Yeah, I mean, this is a whole team turnover, though, isn't it? I'd be surprised if it was anywhere in the first half of the season unless they're down at the bottom again. You know, was it last season, the start of last season or the start of the season? Yeah, they lost the first three, the the, first four. Yeah, yeah, they were relegations only for a a month or two. But unless that happens again, I I don't see it myself. Um, I mean, I was just having a look at Arsenal's team against Chelsea in that friendly there. And I'm not even sure how they lined up, really. They had White, Gabriel and Saliba all playing. So whether it was a back three or whether Saliba had to fill in at full Maybe back or White, White did, I'm not right really sure. Back, yeah. Tommy yeah, injured, back. isn't he, I think? Yeah. Um, so it could have been a, a three or a four there. Let's say there's a, a few players who don't quite fit into the normal uh, first choice positions anyway. So I don't really know what to expect from Arsenal because at the end of the day, it's still Arsenal and they are still going to fundamentally be Arsenal which means that they will have really good runs of form against absolute dross where they beat all the teams who they would expect to beat and they think they've gone around the corner and then they come up against a team who are actually good and they come up against a team who will fight them and deal them some sort of setback and they're Arsenal. They, they, they fold. That's what they do. And they keep doing this. And until they get over that, until they find the players to get them over that, which I'm so sorry, but Granit Xhaka is the ringleader of people who are not in that category. And there are a few others there like, 
I think all of us have, have been pretty well documented on what we think of Ramsdale at the minute and his mentality and all that kind yeah. of thing. So the moves that they've made this summer are interesting from that regard. I think I, I don't like Gabriel Jesus at all. I think he's a little prick and I'm not the biggest fan of him from a footballing perspective either, but he is absolutely a pain in the ass to play against. And he is absolutely someone who will fight and who will work hard and he will don't worry about it. If you go two goals down and just keep playing the same way and find the way to get back in the game, he is one of those kind of people. And presumably Zinchenko must at least have some of that rubbed off from that squad. I'm not really sure how he is overall as a, you know, a big leader. I know in the national team, Mm -hmm. he has a pretty prominent role, but they need more of that. That's something that they really, really have needed. And until Arsenal get more of that and get to be able to overcome these setbacks much, much quicker, they're not going to change. Yeah. I think that's, that's the point. I think Jesus is a big upgrade on Lacazette. I I like Lacazette, but he, he, well, he just completely got worse and worse as time went on. Uh, and Aubameyang couldn't be asked with Arsenal anymore, let's be honest. Um, I think quite a lot of, depends on Arsenal is how the youngsters develop. Saka's a brilliant talent. Smith Rowe's good. Martinelli, uh, patchy. But the talent, well, everyone sees the talent there. So if he, if he takes a big leap, that'll be a huge player for them. Um, even the defence, Ben White costs 50 mil, but can he take another jump? I think he'll have to to kind of justify that money. Uh, and Saliba, he's known as one of the most talented youngsters in the world in that position, so I'll see if he gets any minutes there. Um, let's get into the starting eleven. I mean, it'll be Ramsdale in goal. If Tommy Asu's injured, I'd guess, let's say, White at right back for now, and then Saliba, Gabriel, but once Tommy Asu's back, it'll probably change, and then Tierney if he's not injured at left back, you'd say? Yeah, I mean, they've got, obviously... Um... Uh, Edgar Bellini came back off loan didn't he so whether he's going to be reintegrated I'm not really sure I think there's been a few rumours about him but Arsenal want real live money for him so whether that'll happen or not I'm not really sure that's just um, unacceptable I, in 2022 yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think you're right it'll be Ben White goes right back uh, which probably makes most sense given how Tommy Asu plays right back for them in terms yeah. of the build up and not being like a, a surger as such so it probably makes most sense, and they've got better depth at centre back than they have at right back. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, midfield, we'll say party at the minute, and then we can laugh when Jacker obviously starts the season because he will. We know he will. Um, yeah. The line behind presumably Jesus, unless Enkia gets the rub and Jesus plays around him or something like that. Uh, Saka definitely, maybe position might be different as the ten Odegaard, who he, he's captain now, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if he's been installed as permanent captain this summer, but he, he certainly ended last year, didn't he? So I think yeah. he and Smith Rowe and Martinelli would just be the three who dovetail, two between those two again. Mm-hmm. and uh, Sorry, two between those three again, mm-hmm. and then Saka, the definite starter. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Martinelli's seemingly had a good pre-season, so I think he'll get the rub at the start of the season, then he'll have a purple patch, then a crap patch, unless he's really developed and then get dropped. But smith Rose a weird one. He, he scored a lot of... I think he was, might have been their top goal scorer, or maybe Saka overtook him by the end, but he seemed to lose favour towards the end, so that'll be interesting. But, um, yeah, uh, Jesus is the nine, because people do doubt whether he is actually the nine, or do you think he'll play off Enketia or something like that? Um, maybe at some games. I think there's probably a sign in which gives them a bit more tactical options and a bit more uh, attacking... Outlook at times, you know, Saka can play as a 10 and maybe they put Jesus wide on the right side there, for example. Um, 
realistically, yes, I would expect the majority of the time we're going to see Jesus start as nine, and then we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Um, surely the target is just get top four. Don't let the Europa League derail your season. I, I guess that's going to be their uh, ambition. Yes, their objective is going to be top four. Yeah. Do you think they'll get it? No. Where have you got them? Fifth. Just I, about. I've got them fourth. This but is that, a... that could go well up in smoke if Lego Ed's very bad at his job. <laughs> this is a, a tumbling, humbling for Chelsea. It is. It is. But I like. I think they might do more once. Well, I suppose Pepe said he wants to stay and stuff like that, so they might not have loads to sell. Yeah. Anywho, we'll see Pepe in the Europa League, and then we'll never see him in the Premier League. Um, <laughs> but I like their summer more than Chelsea. But I think, as I said on the Chelsea, but that could really change with just a couple signings for Chelsea. So I will not lock that one in. But I will say it for now. I think Arsenal will finish above Chelsea for now, and then Chelsea will obviously. Do a lot better than I expect. Um, Man United. Holy hell. <laughs> God, what a is, shit. Is, is this its own podcast? I think so. Uh, uh, I'm not... Right, Frankie de Jong out the way. He's not signing for Man United. They could offer him £700 million a week and I don't think he'd sign for Man United by the sounds of it. So they need to address midfield. But what they've got so far is uh, Tyrell Molassi, who will probably be back up left back to Luke Shaw. Christian Eriksen, yeah, good player, but I'm not sure where he fits. And Lissandro Martinez will be locked in left centre-back, you presume, with how he built uh, how he builds up play for his Ajax team, etc. Um, who have they lost? Cavani released, Mata released, Pogba released, <laughs> Jesse Lingard released, youngsters, youngsters, youngsters. Manja Matic went to Roma on a free, Dean Henderson on loan, uh, and Andreas Pereira they actually got money for from Fulham, Jesus Christ. Um, what a weird summer. <laughs> oh, what a shambles. Um, Jesus. Where do we start? Uh... I don't honestly know where we start with this. They've got weaker in terms of depth, but I think in this case that's a positive because this was the most absurdly bloated depth. squad yeah. in the Premier League. And I don't think it's going to be a, a detrimental thing to have lost any of the players that they've lost. I would have said probably Cavani, but last year he had a pretty poor year all round. Matic, I think, was done two years ago at least. Pogba offered very, very little last season. Um, so I don't really think that they've lost out on anything at all, to be honest. I, I'm wondering about Ericsson. I mean, he may just be a you know a, a filler inner, and if that's the case, he's the backup 10 and everything, then Donny van der Beek, why have you not just run away from home already? Because you're not going to get a single minute. <laughs> so the other, the only other theory I can think of is that Christian Ericsson's going to play a bit deeper, and he plays as like one of the centre mids, basically, behind Bruno Fernandes, which is interesting if that's the case from a defensive perspective, but maybe helps them in build-up. Because let's face it, in build-up, United were not fun to watch last season. Um, well, there is a slight possibility he could play wider as well. He used to, I don't know if you remember, he used to play like from left for yeah, Spurs when he first yeah. signed and for Ajax. So he could, in theory, play, let's say, from the right and Sancho from the left or something like that, and he plays very narrow. But if that's going to be the case, you need an absolutely perfect overlapping fullback. I'm not sure Aaron Wan-Bissaka quite comes into that category at this moment in time. So, again, you're looking at the knock-on effects. I suppose it works with Malassia on the left, but then you limit in Sancho with a donkey yeah. right back as well. So. Yeah, I mean, it's not the end of the world if you put Sancho right 
right side. I think actually at Dortmund, he was best on the right, but that is in yeah, a very Hakimi. different system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hakimi behind him and he was really narrow in a front three, whereas in a 4-2-3-1, obviously, you're playing a very different role defensively. Mm-hmm. Your, your starting position is very differently. So you're still not going to get the best out of him. The only other thing I can think of is it's a 4-3-3 and Fernandez actually drops in alongside Ericsson. And both of those are the two number eights, obviously, with Fernandez being a little bit more uh, offensive-minded in possession, but then he's got to work extra hard to get back in off the ball. Mm. But that doesn't work with McTominay or Fred as the sixth. So they need- well, no, but Lisandro Martes could be it, or they could be looking for you know a different Frankie de Jong or anything like that. So it, I don't think I would have worked with Frankie de Jong to be fair. <laughs> well, I mean, they would have all fit. I'm not sure it would have been the most aggressive midfield, but probably for build-up mm. play, probably for retaining possession, a lot better. And that's obviously a big thing for United to improve on as well this year. I mean, you probably get rid of. 30% of the defensive errors just by not giving the ball to the other team 56 times every half, you know? Um, we will counter-attack. We will give them the ball. <laughs> exactly so. Um, so I think that there's a lot of improvement which can be made. I will also not stick up for, but just just voice my my humble opinion that I don't think McTominay is anywhere near as bad as people make him out. I don't think it's going to show off the best of his strengths if he has to play as the six, but he can. And he wouldn't be let's say, worse than Granite Shaka, for example, at Arsenal. That's not a good ceiling, to be fair there, Carl. No, so, but I think some people are making him out to be like the tightest bramble of centre mids, you know? And he's not. And he's not had a manager in his career, to be fair to him. So, no, he's not. And to be fair, I don't think many of these United... Who who was there under Mourinho before he went off the rails? Rashford? That's about what it really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that is literally it. Um, and Rashford's probably suffered most recently in years. So, yeah, I mean, before we go on to the starting eleven, you will obviously know more about Ten Hag than me. I, I know the Champions League runs and I know he's won the league and stuff like that, but we, we've seen some managers. I mean, Klopp had to tinker with his with his 4-2-3-1, yada, yada, yada. He, he played a more defensive 4-3-3 in the league. Obviously, Pep didn't really change too much, but he had a blank checkbook. Um, obviously, Ten Hag has a lot of money, but that's seemingly changing because they've not, well, they just waited for De Jong for too long. But do you think Ten Hag will have to change his ways once he gets into the Premier League? Like you say, we say playing Ericsson and Bruno in a cent- in central midfield feels horrible. It was because we probably wouldn't expect it to work, but he may experiment with that and then think Fred and McTominay need to play, for example. Uh, I expect that there will be chops and changes as it goes on, yeah, because... I mean, aside from everything else, he's not even had his full squad available in pre-season. Obviously, he's only now getting Ronaldo into the... Well, I don't even know if he trained oh, today. In fact, he was certainly in talks. He meeting. <laughs> yeah, so it, again, depends on how he's going to try and integrate him and use him in the team. If he does stay, it's going to depend on where and how he thinks that Rashford is going to perform, Martial is going to perform. I mean, I saw one utterly hilarious headline which said... United have decided to keep Anthony Martial this season. I read it and it was because there were no bidders for him. Well, that's not United deciding, is it? That's just nobody wants him. He's been that bad over the last probably 18 months that literally nobody wants to take even the gamble of a loan on him. So Martial scored a couple of goals in preseason. We've seen this before. Are we going to get something more from him? Is Ten Hag going to finally make him be a bit more engaged in every game and in the team? 
have my doubts, but he's a really talented player. Rashford, the same I've said before, he should be a regular for United at the very least, mm-hmm. who is capable of being a really good goal scorer for them, but he needs to play in certain ways. And that's not running from 50 yards downfield, left midfield, having just tried to prevent a corner going out of the opposite end of the pitch, you know? <laughs> so there's a lot to sort out. I don't think that this is anything like a one-year turnaround for, for United under Ten Hag. Uh, mm. I expect that there'll be really, really bad things at the start of the season, just like there was under Ranić, because you cannot get rid of the mindset of the, the team. You know, the, this, this dressing room has been a problem. The way that they approach matches, the way that they respond to setbacks, the way that they think it's okay to go and lose and then apologise on Twitter and then go and lose the next game. All of this takes quite a while to turn around. You know, that's not something the manager can just come in and do in one pre-season or one transfer window. That is a massive cultural turnaround that United have and this season alone is not going to do it. So maybe one step back, two steps forward type crack? If that's what it took, I would absolutely be up for that for United. You know, if I was a United sports, even if you have to rip apart this team, Mm -hmm. yeah. If you have to come mid-table and then next year is year zero almost, you know, you just take this season as minus one, get people off the books, bring in people who you want and let Ten Hag do three years and see where you are at that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's get into what we think the team will be then. Guessing 4-3-3, De Gea, maybe not the ideal keeper, but probably a problem you can solve in year two or three. Um, I guess Delo because he's not as shit as one beside. <laughs> um, mm. my, oh God, let's just say Martin has a left centre back and then flip a coin at right centre back. Unless Varane fit, yeah. if Varane's fit, it'll be Varane. Um, left back short midfield, McTominay, Bruno. I'd guess Fred, but yeah, if Ericsson has a, well, if he's all right fitness-wise, maybe him, then I'd probably just say San, Sancho, Rashford, Martial to start the season, unless Ronaldo's already, well, throwing up his second toys out the pram for the season and he wants to start a game, he's trying to bit off. Yeah, I don't see too much change from that. Um, like I said, maybe... I'm not even sure if Alanga's been playing for him pre-season. Obviously, he had a big breakthrough last year, yeah. but... Um, I'm going to guess Rashford, Sancho, and I don't even know. There's just it has to be. To it's a really is Martial <laughs> by default, I think, isn't it? There's just so much to sort out in this team. It's an absolute flip of a coin in at well, least four positions at the minute. If you're Ten Hag, would you rather have Martial or Ronaldo play as your nine? Which one's more mouldable for a season? Right. Martial. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The thing is, if I, well, obviously we're the opposite of United fans, we're Liverpool fans, but if Ronaldo was leaving and you were like not one of his weird fanboys, I, I think that'd be such a good place to have a fresh start. You've got rid of Pogba, who's been a prick for so many years. Ronaldo's just came up and kicked a fuss. Matic's leaving, he needed to go. Lingard's obviously a bit of an issue as well with leaking teams and being a prick on Twitter. Yeah, there's a, definitely a massive opportunity there. It's just like I say, it, it is more than a one-year turnaround thing. You look at the people even coming through behind them, like Tat Chong and, um, oh God, what's his name? 
Garnacho, the, the teenage winger that they got mm-hmm. there, Ahmad Diallo is really, really highly rated. I've not seen huge amounts of him since his first like week at the club sort of thing. Hannibal yeah. Mesbury looks a little prick but to play against, but a decent player on the ball. Um, so there's got to be like at least two of those decent young players you think you can incorporate uh, into the squad. The lad's been getting headlines, hasn't he? So it's Iqbal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Iqbal, yeah. Um, so between all of those, and do you know what? I've just reconsidered. I think if I had to have one of them in the squad... I would put Rashford up front alongside uh, Ronaldo. I would go with the two. Just somebody can be unhappy, but if I've got to have one of them, take the goals. Because Martial, he might give you some goals sometimes <laughs> and then he might just do absolutely nothing for a month at a time. At least Ronaldo, you know, is going to do nothing most of the time, but still score goals. So probably just take them. So I'd put Rashford up front with him. Someone somewhere is going to be unhappy, like Fernandez narrow from the wing or something like that for a year. Just deal with it. Yeah, and as you said, Ericsson played there in his, in his Spurs day as well. So maybe Ericsson left or, or right, Sancho on the other one. Or something like that. But yeah, it's, a, it's an odd one. I, I, presumably they're not done in the window. The Frankie yeah, thing. Presumably not. Yeah, just hope so. Well, we hope it's done. <laughs> if it's United's sake, you'd probably hope not. But they, they need a midfielder and, well, a striker, to be fair. Um especially if Ronaldo goes. But Martial, not reliable, as you said. To be fair, none of them are. None of them have proven it for Man United to be reliable. Um, yeah. So, yeah, forward options and midfields, what, what needs dealing with. Um, where do you... Well, what, what are the expectations and where do you think they'll finish? I think theirs is going to try and be to push for the top four. I think that's reasonable for them, given what they need to do over the longer term. But I think they must know that they're a way off that at the minute. And I am... Um, I am actually going to put them seventh on the basis of what's done so far. I was thinking the same, and then I was like, then we have to talk about West Ham. <laughs> well, that's presuming it is West Ham, and you're putting sixth. Or is well, it yeah, someone else? The next podcast to yeah. find out, won't you? Find out next time on an episode of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> um, yes. You know what? I'm going to agree. I think there's a lot of turnover there. I think Ronaldo coming back. It's kind of going to disrupt stuff. We, there's going to be infighting. He's going to bitch and mourn because Ten Hag will drop him for games and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go seventh as well. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who we put sixth. But um, let's do a little recap. I mean, both of us have got Liverpool first. We've both got City second. That's going to be uh, Razor Edge Finn. I, uh, you've got Chelsea fourth. I've got them fifth. We've both got Spurs third. You've got Arsenal fifth, I've got them fourth, and we've both got United seventh. So that is our big six predictions. Anything to add before we go, Carl? You say um, there are certain teams like Chelsea could go out and spend another 100 million yet on two or three players, four Mm. players, five players even. So lots and lots could change and don't really pay too much attention to pre-season, obviously, but um, just the integration of players early on can make a difference. Uh, as the season gets underway. And like I say, we are hoping we will hit the ground running this year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And as you said, from a Liverpool point of view, I don't think we've got the toughest start of the season. We play United pretty early on, if I remember correctly, maybe before Ten Hag ideas and Ronaldo might be back in the team ruining stuff by then. Um, so, yeah, good. hopefully a good start for Liverpool, but we're both pretty happy with what Liverpool have done this summer. Uh, hopefully we're right in our predictions. But... Whether it's me or Dave or whoever hosted the next one, we'll probably look at um, some of the contenders, maybe West Ham, Leicester, albeit 
they've not parted up, so that'll be a quick one. We'll, we'll, we'll work this out off pod, but yeah, it'll be the, the Europa League challenging teams. Um, but we'll be back with that pod probably later in this week. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.